You're listening to The Singing Academic, Episode 1. Welcome to The Singing Academic, a monthly podcast that explores topics and issues related to musical studies within the scope of higher education. I'm your host, Kristen Huggins, Division Chair of Fine Arts and Professor of Voice and Diction at Trinity Valley Community College in Texas. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Singing Academic. I am your host, Kristen Huggins, and you are listening to Episode 1, Italian versus German Breathing Pedagogies. Uh, This episode is a part of our vocal instructional series, a series devoted purely to vocalists who are looking to improve their techniques, get a few tips and tricks, or simply just refresh what they already know. This episode is also going to be used as a mini-lecture in my hybrid vocal studio course at Trinity Valley Community College. So let's just jump right in. Why is breathing so important in singing, other than the fact that you need it to live? I've gotten that answer, I can't tell you how many times from students. It's still funny to me, it may not be funny to you, and if not, please don't hate. Uh, (laughs) But I think before we break down exactly what's involved with breathing, uh, Tetrazzini, the famous singer, not the dish, although it is a very lovely dish, uh, the singer stated that uncontrolled breath is like a rickety foundation on which nothing can be built. And until that foundation has been developed and strengthened, the would-be singer need expect no satisfactory results. And I absolutely agree with her. Breath is the foundation of proper singing, of good singing. And there's a lot of misconceptions, a lot of myths out there regarding what is breath, what is breath support, which works hand in hand, but it doesn't support doesn't necessarily mean the same thing as uh, breathing for singing itself. So looking at those two concepts and then all, of course, breaking down biologically what's happening when we go through the process of inhalation and exhalation and then those recovery periods in between. So first of all, let's look at what proper breath technique can do for a professional singer. With proper technique, we can achieve optimum breath pressure, which allows us to approach our high notes safely and efficiently. It allows us to meter our breath in order to secure those longer phrases in our repertoire. With proper breath technique, the muscles around the vocal tract are relaxed and supported, and therefore we avoid that strained sound that we can hear in sometimes younger, uh, more inexperienced inexperienced singers. And with proper breath technique, uh, we then tie into our support system, which then aids in the creation of stable vibrato, which I know that's a whole other concept. We're going to have to devote another podcast episode or two to uh, vibrato and what that is for singers. And in order to establish proper breath technique, we have to also look at what's happening on a biological level when we inhale and when we exhale. Asking students uh, just off the bat, first lesson of their entire (laughs) music careers, it's interesting seeing what they already perceive to be true in inhalation versus exhalation, and what are some concepts that might have been implied or taught differently at a high school level that then have to be relearned in a different way uh, at the collegiate level. So we've all, for example, we've all heard the phrase, sing from your diaphragm. 
what exactly does that mean? And I don't want anyone to hate on me and say, you know, I, I'm not being snarky. I'm being a little snarky. Um, but when we say seeing from your diaphragm, we're really trying to get them to be aware of a certain location in their abdominal region and take a lower breath and, and feel some sort of tightness, some sort of activity or engagement in that, those lower abdominals, which happens as a result of the diaphragm distending downward. But students, can we control the diaphragm? Is it a voluntary or involuntary muscle? It is an involuntary muscle. <laughs> we cannot control it directly. It's similar to um, our eyes blinking, to our heartbeat, more so the eyes because blinking your eyes is an autonomic response. It's uh, regulated neurologically, but if we want to, we can control it uh, directly or indirectly. The diaphragm is an involuntary muscle. We cannot control it directly. However, we can manipulate it uh, through indirect coordination of the muscles surrounding it. And so whenever we're breathing, we're breathing in and out. We're not thinking about breathing. It happens naturally. But if we're having to meter our breath for singing, that's when we start to manipulate that breath cycle and therefore indirectly manipulate that diaphragm. So when we take a lovely low breath, we also see a little bit of distension through the abdominals. That is not your diaphragm pushing out. So you're not singing with your diaphragm uh, when, when that happens. That is actually what we call viscera which is a lovely technical term for guts. <laughs> uh, your abdominal organs are being temporarily displaced. <laughs> and it's so fascinating. I think it's fascinating. Some students get really grossed out by it. But, I mean, come on, it's biology, and you do it every day, and you don't even realize it, so why not be fascinated by it and just go with it? Um, but your viscera are being displaced, and that protrusion you see in the lower abdominals in the front section of your body, that, that's what you're seeing as opposed to the diaphragm. The diaphragm just moves down. Okay, so let's look at inhalation first. We've kind of touched briefly on some of the key factors that you may already be aware of, but we're going to dig into some of these uh, anatomical regions. So when we inhale, we're not forcefully sucking air into our, our larynx, our trachea, our bronchial tubes, and then our lungs, right? We're not having to work for it. It happens as a vacuum. Uh, the air pressure in the atmosphere around us and the air pressure inside our lungs is in a constant battle trying to equalize with one another. And as a result, we have a vacuum created that pulls the air in for us. As the air pulls into our lungs, our lungs expand. And you have these, this uh, sheet of muscle, two sheets of muscle, excuse me, that encase your rib cage. You have your external intercostal muscles and your internal intercostal muscles, okay? Externals on the outside, internals on the inside, okay? Now here's the fun bit. The external intercostal muscles are responsible for inhalation. So if you're thinking about this and you're being quizzed about this, it's always the opposite. External for inhalation, internal for exhalation, okay? Hopefully I haven't confused you already. So the external intercostal muscles around those rib cage, uh, around that rib cage helps to expand the ribs, give a little bit of room for those lungs as they fill with air. And when the rib cage moves out and the lungs start to fill, then that diaphragm, which is connected to the bottom of your thoracic floor, that diaphragm descends downward as a result, pushing all that viscera forward. That's when you see just that little bit of pooch in the front of the abdominals, and that is inhalation. So, 
whenever you are taking a lovely, what we call a lovely low breath, uh, really pay attention to the front of the body. The sensation is not as easily felt in the back of the body for a number of reasons, but mainly because we have a, a number of hard objects blocking our path. <laughs> so, uh, for example, take your fingers, find the bottom of your sternum on the front, and then just follow the curve of the rib cage. It should start curving downward from the midline of your body all the way around to the side, and then kind of even out on the back, and it kind of flattens out. It doesn't quite curve back up. It just kind of stays down. So from that point on the sternum, there, there isn't any blockage. There's no bones. There's no um, hard tissues. It's all soft, lovely abdominal tissue. And the diaphragm follows that line of your rib cage all the way down to the back. And then once you get to the back, you have your spine, you have the lower part of the rib cage, you have the top of your iliac crest, which is your pelvic bone, uh, or your hip bone, excuse me, your pelvis. So you've got a lot of bone in the back that's, that's keeping uh, more expansion or similar expansion that you have in the front. So when you take a low breath for singing, don't expect that expansion to happen as readily in the back as it does in the front. In the front, there's nothing blocking it. It's nice, soft tissue, lots of squish everywhere. But in the back, you got, you got some blockage happening. Um, if you want to see just how much expansion is happening in the back, you can fold over at the waist, put your hands on your lower back, kind of right in between your ribs and your, your pelvis, and take a lovely low breath as if you're about to prepare to sing, okay? And feel just that little bit of expansion. If you're bent over at the waist, you can feel it a bit more easily. Um, but again, don't worry too much about what's happening back there normally. Worry more about the front. That's where all the, the magic happens. Now, when you take a breath for singing, there's a couple of things you should note. This inhalation should be silent, if you can hear yourself take a breath, that means a couple of things are happening that we need to address. Either A, your soft palate is too relaxed. If you don't know where your soft palate is, take a lovely yawn. It doesn't take that much for me right now because I'm. T <laughs> it's only Wednesday, but I'm so tired. And uh, right at the roof of the mouth, past the hard palate, past the middle part of your mouth, right before you get to the opening of the throat, that's where that lovely soft palate is. And whew, as if you're going to yawn, you can, you can slightly, ever so slightly raise it. Making sure that soft palate is engaged uh, can help take a, a more silent breath. Uh, this can also affect your resonance and your vowel productions. A, a lowered soft palate or, or uh, a lowered soft palate or a lazy soft palate also lends itself to nasal resonance or nasal vowels. If you're not singing French, that soft palate needs to be lifted and engaged. It could also, um, if your inhalation, um, if you can hear yourself take a breath, it could also be because your jaw is not sufficiently open, or it could be that your tongue is too far contracted into the back of the throat causing tension. Also, when you take a breath, make sure that you are relaxed, that your body is aligned from the top of the head, down through the neck, down the spine, to the heels of the feet, but the sternum and shoulders should be in a nice, neutral, yet lifted position. So we don't want military-style, roll the shoulders back, attention, Stan Hut. We, we want the sternum, finding that sternum, that breastplate, 
ever so slightly lifted as if you're pointing it at an angle towards the ceiling. Shoulders back, but back and relaxed, not pulled back. Not We don't want things tense. Please be sure when you are taking this breath that you are not taking a clavicular breath. Clavicular breathing is when we breathe with the shoulders. You see shoulders moving up very obviously. Uh, this is called clavicular breathing because the collarbones are being moved upwards. This can cause insufficient air for longer phrases of music and you lose fine motor control of your abdominal musculature whenever you then exhale on the breath, which is mandatory for controlled breath support. So please, students, ensure, watch yourself in a mirror when you practice to ensure that you're not taking those clavicular breaths. Uh, I see that a lot with beginning students, especially young women. I don't know why, uh, <laughs> but just, just be aware that that is a risk factor. Now, when we go to exhale on the breath, this is not a normal exhalation as we would if we were speaking or if we were just breathing naturally. This is a controlled exhalation. So with this, there has to be this balance between uh, the muscles of inhalation and the muscles of exhalation working against one another to uh, delay everything going back to that neutral position as if you were before inhalation. Okay, so the body is going to want to go back to that natural dormant state. The, the abdominals are going to want to go back in. The rib cage is going to go from that lateral position back inward again. And if we're not careful, the shoulders will curve in. Keep everything lifted. Keep everything open. And control that, that movement of the abdominals inward. Don't let it just, oh, everything go out completely. Um, it's important to note that the singer cannot control the diaphragm's ascension itself, but with rib muscles and with abdominals, you can indirectly manipulate how fast that diaphragm ascends upward again. So just be aware, exhalation is a fine balance of a battle <laughs> between uh, those two sets of muscles. Now, before we go into looking at the schools of thought on breathing, let me be clear about something. As an instructor, I tend to take a very open approach to breathing. I do believe that everyone's bodies are different, and the body is an instrument whenever you're looking at a vocalist, um, depending upon your height, your width, um, your voice type, the length of your neck, the musculature, uh, all of these things play a part in how we approach our technique, how we approach our repertoire, and how we approach our breathing. So I like to observe on a student-by-student -student basis on what feels and looks more natural for them. Um, I get a lot of biofeedback, and I, I communicate with students whether something feels organic, whether something is hurting, whether there's unnecessary tension. If there's an obvious audible or physical strain involved with one or the other, then, then I, we're going to shift our breathing technique. So I would encourage all of you to seek out a coach or an instructor who can help you with that biofeedback um, and help you ascertain which one is going to be most appropriate for your voice type and for your body type too. I, I really, truly cannot stress that enough. Uh, I'm also in no way an advocate for one style over the other. I can tell you that personally, I've been taught both by various teachers and coaches, and in my professional singing experience. What I found is that my body type lends itself more to the apoggio style of breathing because my voice timbre, my voice weight, is much more suited 
towards Baroque and bel canto literature within the classical style. And within that means the Apoggio technique really allows a lighter, freer, more relaxed state for my voice in order to achieve the coloratura uh, melismas that I need in that repertoire. So the Apoggio style has been what I've uh, eventually, through trial and error, gotten to with myself. However, it's interesting to note that as I've begun to branch out towards uh, more musical theater repertoire, especially looking at healthy belt and how that fits in my voice, I have begun to use aspects of the Bachhausenstütz technique as it increases a bit of resistance at the larynx, causing a bit more back pressure under those vocal cords, and it does create a more powerful pressed sound that is common in healthy belt repertoire. So, summarizing all of that up, I found what works for my body and for my voice. I found what doesn't hurt me. And I also found that it depends on the style of music that I'm specializing in as to what kind of breath, uh, breathing techniques I'm going to incorporate. So again, just tying all this in, using what works for you. So let's take a look at these two schools of thought on breathing. First, the Italians. <laughs> So in 1884, the Italian singing teacher Francesco Lamperti termed uh, the idea appoggio. This comes from the word appoggiare, which means to lean upon or more freely translated to support. And he was using this term to describe the dynamic tension between the muscles of inhalation and exhalation. Remember, we talked about that before, uh, not letting everything go back to that natural state, but kind of fighting against it with those muscles of inhalation still kind of frozen as you exhale on the breath. So Apoggio really revolves around that tension, that balance between those two sets of muscles. Uh, this is also referred to as intercostal breathing because the rib cage really plays a primary role in this style. Uh, Apoggio technique focuses really on lateral expansion through the rib cage, maintaining that lift through the shoulders and sternum, slight extension through the abdomen as we inhale. Um, again, that chief sensation of movement happens laterally in the lower section of the ribs. It's also important to note that with Apoggio breathing, at the moment of exhalation, the lower abdominals do follow a measured motion back to neutral with the rib cage doing the same, um, but a full relaxation of the abdominal wall should not take place, maintaining that tension, maintaining that, that kind of pull. And in order to make sure that you're doing this correctly, I would just take a couple of fingers and maybe find a place right above or right around the belly button. And as you're singing on, on the phrase, measure the engagement of your abs. They should be active, but not tight. So you don't want to, oh, I, you know, have you seen my beach ball? It's over there. Don't, don't Arnold Schwarzenegger. It very, very engaged, not tight, also not completely relaxed either. This isn't a walk in the park. This is a bit of work. I have found that the Apoggio style of breathing does lend itself more towards bel canto rep, uh, Baroque and early classical rep, and repertoire for lighter female voices. Uh, that's not a constant, that doesn't mean it always does, but just majority what I've, I've kind of noticed trend-wise, that's where it has lent itself most. So let's take a look at the German style of breathing. Now, the German style of breathing, uh, the technique is called Bachaußenstütz, which literally translates to outward belly support. 
And this was taken from various German writings on singing pedagogies, but specifically those of Brunner Müller Brunel from 1890. Uh, it starts off very similar to the Italian technique in terms of alignment and posture stacking the spine with the, the head aligned on top of it. However, on inhalation, the rib cage, there's not as much lateral expansion through the rib cage. There is, however, this sensation of pressed, uh, pressing through the abdominals and maintaining that press very firmly as you exhale. So as a singer exhales, they are encouraged to resist that body's natural want to return to a neutral recovery position. The viscera is pressed outward until the very end of the phrase, and then that sensation should be experienced via a complete 360 degrees around the body. So remember how we were talking about earlier, you're not going to feel as much expansion through the back whenever you take a breath in due to all of those lovely hard objects called bones that are in our way. Uh, the German style, even though you're not getting as much expansion, they want you to still focus on getting that expansion through the back and then maintaining it as you exhale. This, uh, from what I've heard, has created this sensation of being a bit more grounded, of really using the lower abdominals and the pelvic floor to help support the sound as a secondary support system. And the style of singing that results from this technique, the weight of the sound, the color of the sound, it's really interesting to see how that aligns with what the late Romantic German composers were, were composing for in their operas and their art songs in that same time period when these writings showed up by Müller-Brunau. So the, the pedagogy is kind of coinciding with the need of the time, with, with the operas of the time, with these large orchestras and really steely, powerful, big sounds that were coming out of these singers. And looking at trends in my own vocal studio, uh, this... This breathing technique isn't as common. I have seen it, however, be preferred more by very low male voices. Uh, they tend to favor that style over the apoggio style of technique. And I monitor carefully to ensure that there's no pressing uh, to the point of tension through the abdominals. But uh, again, it worked out a little bit easier, I think, to help maintain that lower breath support for those, those voice types. So there you have it. We have our two schools of thought on breathing pedagogies. We have Italian, appoggio technique, which is to lean on or to support the breath, that lateral expansion through the ribcage, and then natural descension back down with a controlled means. And then we have our German, Bachhausenstutz, which is that outward belly support, distension being pressed through that lower abdominal area all the way around the body and maintaining that distension as we exhale on the breath. If you guys have any questions or concerns, be sure to leave me a comment. Uh, if you have any suggestions for our students who are currently trying to work on their breath techniques, leave a comment or encouragement for them. Uh, they're going to need it. <laughs> uh, and if you're a student in my vocal studio and you have any additional questions or concerns about this lecture, be sure to catch me in our next lesson. I would be happy to address it. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Singing Academic. With each episode, we offer show notes and a full transcript on our website, so please be sure to visit www.thesingingacademic.org to access these additional resources. Find more Singing Academic podcast episodes on iTunes and Spotify. And finally, if you found this episode helpful, please be sure to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. See you all next time.